Okay, my name is Owen Weymouth, and welcome to The Diving Pod. And I'm Heath Calhoun. And I am Aaron Rooney. Once again, this episode is brought to you by Sideline Scout. Sideline Scout has perfected the video replay system. Uh, It's the most important pool tool we have in diving, and we're proud to be partners with the best in the business. Heath and I both use Poolside Live. It's incredible. You can pause, rewind, go frame by frame, hone in on those tiny little details. Just this last week, I had a girl who was uh, sending her hips out just a little bit too far on reverses so we could pinpoint, hey, what was going on there? You know, squeeze your abs a little bit, tighten it up, and uh, we got it fixed and figured out. So the best part about it is it does not rely on the school's spotty Wi-Fi connection. I've been looking for a replacement for these video replay apps, and this is definitely the best way to go about it. So hit up sidelinescout.com. Go check out their packages. It's amazing. It's the best money you'll ever spend. So um, we like to always thank everybody for coming on first, Owen. And, uh, you know, why don't you kind of, you had a pretty, you have a pretty interesting diving career up to this point. And uh, why don't you kind of let our listeners know uh, where you started and how you got to where you are now? Yeah, so I started diving when I was six years old. Um, My mom signed me up for diving classes, basically, Uh, There was one week where the schools gave out a leaflet and said, come try a a new sport for one week to see if you like it. And my mum signed me up for diving and yeah, absolutely loved it um, and kept doing it ever since. I would say it was around the age of 10 that I got selected for a bit of talent um, and sort of moved up from, I started just obviously going like once or twice a week for a couple of years and then. They wanted me to come a bit more because I was talented and like introduced me to dry land and stuff and started competing around the age of 10 or 11. Um, and I actually ended up with four national titles, junior national titles, um, two in synchro and two in 10 meter. And I have gone on to represent Great Britain in high diving, which is the new evolving 27 meters feet first side of diving. But I've also, uh, in the career, I've obviously met a uh, American diver, Ellie, who's now my fiance. And in this time I've moved to the US and started, um, I've, I've run a club team in Minnesota for the last two years. So I'm very involved in the sport of diving. That's, that's awesome. You know, um, what has been, what has been like the most fun part transitioning from what people would maybe say is your traditional diving. And it's going to lead into Aaron's question to uh, your, your crazy career now. So like what kind of led to that? Um, What led up to it was basically, I think it was probably around the age of 13 or 14. I'd come back from a competition, like a, a national competition. And it was sort of, it sort of hit me that, you know, the top five or six divers in the country um, were just like that much better than I was. And I was never going to really get to that level to be on the national team for platform or springboard diving. But it really was my dream to to go and be a professional at diving. And so I was, you know, a YouTube kid, loved, loved to look at cool things on the internet. And when I came across Red Bull Cliff Diving and, and realized that this is like a professional sport and that people were, were doing it. I really had my eyes set on it. So 
I spoke to my coaches and said, hey, you guys, like at the end of every diving practice, can I like spend 10 or 15 minutes working on these these feet first skills? Um, and then when I was 15, I convinced my dad to fly me out to this amateur cliff diving competition in Switzerland. Uh, we just sort of sent them an email and said, hey, I'm a 10 meter diver. would love to give this a go. And they said, you know, you're, you're not 18 yet, so we can't let you go off the high one, which is 20, but you can come jump off the 15 and learn some things. And uh, I did that, had an absolute blast, uh, did really good at that competition and, and realized that this is something for me. Um, and then the next year I went back out to Austria and started diving off 20 meters, um, which is getting up there in terms of high diving. And uh, the year after that, I went back to the Switzerland competition. I actually won it. Um, so I was like, okay, this is, this is me now. This is what I want to do. And after that, um, I got an invitation from Red Bull to come and train at a cliff diving event in Wales. Um, I learned inward double half was my first high dive in 27 meters. And then two months later after that, I got a phone call and said, you know, do you want to come and compete at a Red Bull cliff diving event in, uh, in Dubai? We've had somebody drop out and um we need someone to fill the spot can you get up to london tonight and fly out the next day and that's what happened that's where it all started wow that's crazy so that leads right into my next question is about the red bull cliff diving series and and how do you get into that how does one you know make that transition from i would say probably the most common transition is that platform tower diver into that next level how do you do that is it simply somebody scouting kind of upcoming talent and you get an invitation how does that work yeah, so I think if you really want to get into it, it's it's a very personal thing. You know, it's one of those things that like coaches don't seem to like normal diving coaches won't seem to know a lot about it. So if you kind of want to go and do it, it's got to come from you. Um, and nowadays, there's actually a lot of places where you can sort of get going in terms of uh, learning the sport. Um, I would say one popular route that a lot of people do is they they learn in the form of diving shows um they, there's there's different levels you know there's the traveling ones with the tank then there's like some people go to the the bigger ones like Cirque du Soleil but they always have diving above 10 meters in these shows where you can sort of work and earn a living um but also learn to hide out on the side I was kind of the other route I never really did shows um and I just I spent a lot of time jumping off cliffs as a kid, like just jumping higher than 10 meters. But then there's a facility in Austria called Area 47. It's got a hydraulic board that goes from 10 to 20 meters and any height in between. Um, there's a new facility in China, which unfortunately you can't really get to right now because of COVID. Um, and there's a couple places in the world, Canada, um, Russia, where you have these indoor high dives popping up. So it is growing a little bit. There are more and more facilities now where you can like progress slowly, 10, 12, 14, 16 meters. Um, but like I said, you really have to want to go for it and you have to put yourself out there and, you know, involve yourself with the people doing it. Sure. Well, the, the one thing that's so intriguing to me in this sport is it, it, it's totally more, I would say, of a spectator sport than traditional springboard diving. You know, I, I compare and correct me if I'm way off on this, but I see springboard and, and competitive diving as like uh, ski jumping. And then I see this Red Bull cliff series as cliff diving series as like 
the snowboarding, the freestyle, the, you know, there's still those technical elements, but it seems like, dang, this is really cool. And we're, we're, we're watching a new sport grow. No. Yeah. And when you're, when you're in it, it does really feel like that, you know, uh, coming from a diving background, a competition is, um, is quite a, a stressful thing. I, I, I always found competing to be stressful. Um, you know, it's, you, you have your warm up bouncing the boards and then it's like go. And then the whole arena is silent when you dive, you know, that whistle is kind of eerie. Um, there's a lot of pressure on you because, you know, you train your butt off to do these competitions in a, in a really small sport and you want it to be for something. Um, but like when you get on these Red Bull platforms, you know, there's a live MC, there's thousands of people, you know, you're just like on the board, like giving <laughs> it like arm waves and stuff. And, you definitely feel like it's almost like you're a rock star at a music concert and people have come to see you. Um, and I find that that really helps um, in the competing side of things because you really need, you know, an extra little bit of oomph to get off those kind of heights and do these <laughs> dives. Um, so it really works well. And it's, it's, a, it's a feeling like no other. I'm like really blessed that I get to do it and that I've like got to a point where jumping up 27 meters is something that I can physically and mentally do. That's because you're crazy, Owen. <laughs> like <laughs> you have to have a few things wrong in your brain to want to do that. But um, no, honestly, uh, I, I think it's just neat hearing you talk about it. And honestly, Aaron and I, right before you got on, we were watching, um, we were kind of rewatching the meet that I had with my college team. And Aaron was like noting, he goes, Oh, is this warm up?" I'm like, no, it's the meat. And he goes, man, your kids look like they're having so much fun. Like they're just relaxed. Like there's, there's stuff going on in the background. It's not dead silent. I'm like, yeah, like that's how, cause that's what we practice in. It's like, I wish if maybe more traditional diving could steal something from that setting in Red Bull. It's like, make it fun. Like it doesn't have to be super serious and silent, but, um, you actually touched on it a little bit is, uh, you know, talk about the new facility in Utah and the one coming in Fort Lauderdale, as well as how did the first USA sanctioned high dive meet go in the United States? Yeah, so that's uh, another part of the story. Um, so we've we heard a, a couple years ago, maybe three now, that um, Fort, Fort Lauderdale um, is going to rebuild their very famous pool and that they're going to include high dive platforms up to the height of 27 meters, which is um, just absolutely groundbreaking for the sport of of high diving in the US. It's definitely way more of a thing and has grown fairly quickly in Europe for the last decade. And, it, and North America has been quite slow to catch up, but that will be revolutionary. Um, but actually this, this uh, previous winter, Ellie and I went skiing in, in Utah and we came across the Olympic ski jumping pool uh, where they perform aerial skiing. And they used to have this big rock climbing wall that was set up uh, over the deeper section. So there's a there's an area where it's five meters deep in the pool. You've got like uh, 40 feet of five meters deep. Um, and so we were like, wow, this is awesome. And, and Utah really is one of those states where all the kids are crazy. They like throw all these crazy sports, BMX, mountain bike, skiing and snowboarding so it seemed like the perfect place to uh have a tower and uh we reached out to them uh the olympic park and they said you know 
if you guys can can sort of work this thing out, you can have the area and you can do this. So um, Ellie took out a, a new business called the High Diving Institute. And uh, we got to work and we put up a scaffolding tower with nine different takeoff heights. It had the normal heights, three, five, seven meters, 10 meters. But then we also got into 12, 15, 17 and a half, 20 and 27. Um, and it just became the first facility in the US, just out of nothing, really. That's incredible. I've, I've seen pictures. I've seen videos. I've seen it's it's otherworldly to me. You know, I I wouldn't ever jump off the top one off 27 meters. It's that's totally out of my comfort zone, but it's pretty dang cool what you guys built over there. No. Yeah. And that is the uh, the really beautiful thing about it. Um, what we really wanted to do was make this something that wasn't superhuman anymore. Um, and I think that was what having all the different platform heights was so good. You know, we had the thing open all summer long for members of the public to jump off. We actually um, had this thing called the high diving experience where people could come and, and just jump for an hour. And we all teach them the basics of jumping feet first and then, you know, maybe some flips off the lower heights. And we're actually the first uh, facility in North America that could provide something higher than 10 meters for the public to jump off. We had up to 12 meters in that experience, which a few people did, which was really cool. Um, you know, as divers, you don't ever even think about anything higher than 10. So it's cool just to get first timers just like jumping and like learning to, to fly and stuff like that. And so um, go ahead, Heath. I was just going to say the one thing that sticks out to me so far and our, our listeners will be able to hear it, but it's neat asking you this. And I've seen some of this when we talked at nationals, but you can tell you love everything about high diving. You start talking about it and you have this giant grin. Can you talk about how it just seems like you love what you're doing and you really are kind of an integral part, especially in the U S you and Ellie as to where high diving is now and where it's going. Um, you know, can you just talk about how much you love it? Like, it's just very obvious when we're sitting here talking to you about it. Yeah, of course. Um, I think the reason that I really love it is that on like a really personal level it allows you to just live um you know the world I, I think the world is honestly like mad there's so much stuff going on there's a lot of you know in life there's lots of stresses and it's not that high diving isn't stressful of course it gets stressful but it's just this like this freedom that you that I can't really describe and really do it but you, you know you're in the air when you get a good takeoff you're like flying for a good three seconds and just like the feeling of, of doing the hard dives and doing them good, um, you, you can't describe it, you know. It's something else. It's nothing like 10-meter diving um, because the consequences of, of landing bad, you know, they're awful. And it's, 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 it's almost like, um, it's almost like, I don't know, it's comparable to like a boxing game, like a boxing match, you know what I mean? Like you're really you have to believe that you're going to win in order to get yourself off it. Um, and everything inside tells you, tell you it's a bad idea, but it's that overcoming fear. I, I think that makes it so addicting. Awesome. 
So the, my first memory of watching anything Red Bull cliff diving, the only diver, the only name I recognized was David Kulturi. Who were some of the divers that you saw and you decided, hey, I, I kind of want to try that. Who were, who were your inspiration? Yeah, so the world's best high diver for the past decade um, is Gary Hunt. He's from Southampton in England. He actually represents France now because he's been a citizen uh, living in Paris since 2006. But he really is the greatest high diver of all time, not just because he's been very consistent in, in winning the World Series year after year, but he's also pioneered like so many different kinds of dives that nobody even thought was possible because obviously right now you look at 10 meter diving and what humans can do it's pretty much maxed out um you know inward four and a half stuff like that you can't really go much further than that you know maybe some back four and a half might come in at some point uh maybe back three and a half twisting two and a half but you know like there's not much more that you can fit in but gary was the sort of guy who you know back back when high diving was just a bunch of not not i wouldn't say they like they weren't they weren't great traditional divers they were just very brave guys uh doing simple stuff but gary was the first very technical diver to come in and do his tricks so he did the back trip with four twists that was his first famous one uh back three and a half twist into a front flip pike into a barani uh that was famous because obviously back two and a half two and a half is like the most twist you kind of see on 10 meters so and then he went even further to uh, invent basically a, a full in and a full out at the same time. So he like ran up and did a double twist, checked it, and, and then did a full out out of like an in twist. Mm -hmm. uh, so much that he created um, and he's just pioneered this crazy generation of athletes. Yeah, that's really cool. So um, what would you say is, is the future for 27 meter diving is Olympics possible? Where's the sport going? Um, yeah, I think that everybody from an, all the athletes who are involved in it really want to see it in the Olympics. Um, I would say more than three quarters of us come from a normal diving background. Uh, you, you get the few that come straight in from trampoline and stuff like that, but it's mainly diving straight to high diving sort of transition so I think now that it's got its own world championships and world cups through FINA the the chances of going in that direction are much higher and uh, I know that there's people within FINA who work very hard around the clock uh, with the IOC to try and get it in there obviously you can't touch wood on these things but I, I do think that this decade 2024 2028 you might see it That'd be cool. I'd, I'd be really excited about that. That's for sure. Yes. Um, you know, so coming from a traditional diving background, how on earth do you even get to the point where you want to say, cause I would say normally when people teach things off 10 meters, it's like, you don't go in feet first. How do you yeah. even get, get it in your head to be like, I'm going to start going feet first. And where do you start with that? And how do you do those progressions? Cause it sounds like you almost did it on your own and figured it out. Yeah, I was, I've always been like a student of the sport of diving. Like if nobody has the answer, I go like, look for it. Um, and I would say there's three main sort of entry categories in high diving. 
the most important and the most used one is the brawny entry. Um, so that's a front flip half twist. And the best way to describe that is when you're doing a high dive, if you imagine normal diving, you finish all your flips, all your twists, you grab your hands, or you look at the water and you grab your hands. So when you look at the water, you don't grab your hands, you put them out to the side and you front flip half twist. And the reason that we do that is because as you rotate in that flip, you always keep your eyes on the water. Um, and that's the safest and the easiest way to basically line up. Uh, the second main entry group is unnatural entry, which is basically just backs and gainers. Uh, <laughs> so so you, you let go. And like I said, instead of like lining up backwards, you look back to your arms and let your feet float round and you line up. Uh, the third one is the rarest kind because it's more risky. It's the blind entry. It's basically just a front flip. Um, so you're coming out of your flips and twists. You look at the water and then you duck your head and it's blind because when you duck your head, you, you lose sight of the water. You only really use your peripherals to, to kind of judge it. Um, my voluntary dive is a flying front flip, just a single front flip. So I just like do a swan dive for 10 meters and then hold into a pike line on my feet. That's a blind entry, for example. But I literally was on the 10 meter platform on three meter springboard, just working these very basic feet first skills. And then once I sort of got them down with single flips, I started doing double flips, started adding twists, started doing triple flips. And then like by the time that I'd actually gone to do a high dive for the first time, like I'd done like triple halves on springboard. I'd done like multiple twisting halves on springboard, you know, like I'd done all that groundwork before even going higher. So it was just about overcoming the fear of going high at that point. Right. So I have a follow-up question on that. I think I saw a video, you did an inward double and that has the, the blind entry. That's yeah. Okay. Um, so specifically, what do your feet do when you hit the water? I have a idea in my head. Somebody told me once that you point your ankles and flex your toes. Yeah. Can you explain what your feet do? Yeah. So I would say, I mean, if you've, if you've looked into diving a lot, the coaches will often tell you like you want a big surface area on your hands. It helps with the ripping. It's the same feet first. So you want to avoid at all costs, like a very pointed toe. Um, I kind of say like when you start to learn it, try and go as flat as possible. Obviously, if you go like way flex, you get that like awful slap sensation, which you don't really want. But like it's one of those muscle memory things that come. It's, it seems like just slightly heel up and landing on the ball of your foot is, is what's the most comfortable and consistent sort of uh, feet position to get a good entry sure. and keeps you free of injury. Okay. That makes sense. It's so bizarre hearing you. Cause you're like, to me, it's like, you almost coach it backwards. Like you have to figure out why well, do this with my hands. So how do I do that with my foot now? It's, no, so yeah, no, it's so bizarre. No, it really is like that. And, um, it is really funny making the transition. I actually think it's once you like start doing it, it's actually, it made me a better diver because once you start thinking of everything from this new point of view, I'm literally landing the total opposite way around. I just felt like when I came back to diving, my air awareness was so much better because like I have, I don't just have one and a half, two and a half, three and a half anymore. I have like one and a half, two, two and a half, three, like everything. And in between I like have done it now. So I know um, one of my favorite dives that I have seen on, uh, I think it was on water sex magic and maybe Santa Clara diving is when you did, uh, 
you did double out, but you did a full twist in and then a full twist out. And I'm like, Oh, this is freaking amazing. And I'm yeah. like, I have it saved. And like when my athletes are like, just show me a cool dive. That is my go-to dive that I show them. And they're like, how the yeah. heck does he do that? And I go, I don't know, but you can ask them. No. And like I said, uh, that was something um, that I was inspired to try through high diving. Like I said, Gary, Gary's had the balls to go up and try that with even more stuff after it. So I thought, you know, let's just give it a go on springboard. But it's, it is really funny. Like, it seems like, why would you do that? Like, how is that possible? But it really is just a full in and a full out, you know, um, a full in, I can do a full in, just twist, go to pike. So when I come out of my full in, I just check and then wrap another twist. And it's, 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 it's one of those things, you know, it's, it's <laughs> impossible but then you just sort of do it um i want to i want to talk about the height a little bit more as well i heard in a movie that once you get to 100 feet in the air the water feels like concrete and no matter how you land it's not going to feel good there's some serious consequences at 27 meters can you uh without maybe being crazy graphic what's the craziest thing that's happened i mean there's got to be some pretty brutal smacks up there yeah um you know it is part of the sport it doesn't happen all the time but you know you, you do see it i would say um the the scary one to see it's not always the they don't always end up in the most serious consequences but the scariest thing to see is is somebody being knocked unconscious um that does happen um and that's basically just blunt force you know yeah. um it's to be people that have their head in the wrong position because like I've landed very bad but I didn't really catch it on my face or on my head and you see some people like they'll land very short with their face forward it's like just someone punching you in the face yeah. and from that height that speed it's enough to knock you out um so that's that's scary to see um you know bad landings can cause some internal bleeding definitely a lot of bruising um but I do think it has to be said for the athletes they do keep themselves in very good physical condition so that even when these things do happen, of course it hurts. It might take two or three weeks for like your muscles to recover and from the swelling and stuff, but like life-changing, devastating injuries, touch wood, I've never really seen it in the sport. Good. Well, let's, let's hope we, uh, we keep it that way. Uh, yeah. Another one here for you, just with diving in my mind, it's been ingrained in me that you're you, it's hands first, it's hands first. So this feet first deal, it's, it's new to me. It's really cool. Will we ever see higher than 10 meter land on your hands? Um, I think, I mean, I mean, I've done it. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see it as a, as a competitive thing. Um, I think the world record for head first is in the, in the thirties somewhere in terms of meters um there's a couple guys there's a couple guys in france that uh do it all the time they they do these like really high swan dives and stuff so i know like it is possible but i think for the average person uh you know even like in 10 meter diving you, you feel it in your thumb your wrist your elbow your like the, the upper body can't take like your lower body can so it's possible it's just it hurts a lot more and i don't <laughs> I don't think people would want to do it all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. 
So how do you um how do you manage the reps like you know how we have to think about that when you're doing 10 meter how do you manage those reps from that height is i mean i would venture to say it's a ton of lead ups and very minimal on the 27 like how does that work for you yeah um i'd say like in more than half the so we spend a lot of time in a 10 meter pool um combining the complicated part of the dive, which tends to be in the first 10 meters, uh, and then combining the entry part, which is the brani. And if you work both of those skills on 10 meter, uh, then you just sort of have to combine it all together when you go for a high dive. Um, but like I said, you just, the, the, the most important thing about doing a high dive is that you don't think of the whole dive because it doesn't work like that. You know, if I'm doing a quad, I'm thinking about doing a front three and a half. Right. And then I come out and look at the water, and then by the time that that's happened, you know, I'm, I'm already 15 meters away and I can just sort of put myself on my feet. And I'm thinking it like a quad, like things are going to start going wrong at that point, you know? Right. It, it's fun. It's funny. You say it like that. I have a, a young lady and she doesn't spot. And she asked me the other day, she's working on back two and a half pike. And she goes, what, how should I think about it? Should I think about it like back double and then a back line up pike? Or should I think about it like back one and a half with another flip? And I'm like, what do you talk like that? My brain doesn't work like that. I'm like, just do a back double, see the board point, look, reach. No, she's, exactly, like, yeah. she's like, no, that's not how my brain works. And I'm like, so the thing that ended up helping her the most was thinking, do a back double and then do a candlestick. Cause she was a gymnast. And she's like, that makes perfect sense for me. And I'm like, okay, you're a weirdo, but if it works. No, yeah, yeah, that, that is actually really funny. I think from being a coach and another, another one that makes me laugh is when I teach, uh inwards uh they're like how on earth do i do it inwards and i'm just like stand backwards jump backwards but do a front dive tuck yep. and they're like oh okay i get it you know what <laughs> i mean yeah so, that's good that's crazy what one more i'm just so i'm stuck on this feet first thing and it's just <laughs> cool i love it yeah. um do you foresee springboard diving ever adopting any kind of feet first entries you know we very rarely i coach high school and so we see back and reverse doubles and i mean i'll be honest i hate them but there's got to be a limit there's got to be a degree of difficulty there's got to be something that hey maybe if you do a back double triple twist and you and you spot it and you smoke it feet first that might be worth it you know is there something like that maybe that uh, could cross cross worlds yeah, I don't really know. I mean, like you said, I think uh, as when we come from a traditional diving background, watching somebody go in feet first says like this person isn't strong enough to get to their head yet or they're just too scared and they don't know how to spot. So like we, we instantly don't like that person in the competition. Like Not that we don't like them, but we don't want to like reward what they're doing. Um but, you know, I think if somebody stepped up with a massive hurdle and, like, put in a quad gainer or something like that, um, which must have a high three, if not four difficulty, and, like, ripped it, like, um, you know, I don't see why that couldn't be a thing. Yeah. I think it would be incredibly impressive to come out of a reverse quad and, and rip it on your feet on springboard. I really think it would. Um so you'd have to, I think it would take a while for the judges to, to get used to it. But like, if it was, you know, people started going harder than three and a half just to get round to quads, you know, I, I, 
I'd be all for that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So one, one more, my, my next one here, before we get to some signature questions, what kind of dives are you working on now? What's a dream dive of yours? What, uh, what's in the tank right now? Yeah, that's a funny one. So I, I actually, two years ago, um, I learned a really high stand dive. Uh, it was a front arm stand, three and a half twisting, two and a half. So um, I was the first person ever to do a front handstand into a triple twist uh, and then Barani out of that. Um, I did end up doing it and getting lost on it, which kind of messed me up on that dive. I have since got lost again on a triple twister again. So like, I, I feel like my talent's always been in twisting, but I've had a couple of bad experiences with it now where I want to sort of like refresh myself and do something else. Um, and so what I'm working towards is the arm stand full in. So my favorite 10 meter dive is 61.42, like front handstand, one twist, head first. Mm-hmm. And it being that dive, but like into a full in. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, that's, that's, that's pretty comfy. And that's a big part of why I'm in Montreal now is I'm doing two high dives from 18 meters, which I can combine to 27. So I'm doing handstand two and a half, one and a half, which is handstand twist straight to a Barani. And I'm also doing full in as a high dive. So full front flip half. And then the goal is to combine it all on 27 when I get to Abu Dhabi and do the competition. (laughs) You're wild. You're so wild. Oh, man. Oh, that's nuts. I like it. Well, we're going to get into our signature questions here. Something that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast is, what is your favorite failure or just your best learning experience? Um... I think that actually came this year. Uh, I had the worst landing I've ever had in high diving. It was the first time that I would say like I really crashed hard. Um, I was doing another stupid thing that well, it's not stupid, but it's weird in, inward twisting. Uh, and yeah, I came out. Uh, and, and got lost in the dive and ended up landing pretty horizontally, which I'd never done before. Um, I was lucky to kind of swim away relatively unscathed. Obviously, I had big bruises and stuff, so I was out for a few days, but I had nothing like long term. Um, but then I competed the next week um, and I actually had the most consistent competition of my life. I did uh, three dives, eight and a half nines. And I, I think that what it taught me about myself, like for some reason, having the worst experience possible made me think, okay, the worst thing that can absolutely happen has just happened. And like, I can turn a chapter right now and like sort of go into it with more confidence and sort of like just more composure. And I, re- I really felt that recently that since I've like crashed, like nothing worse can happen than that, you know? Um, and it's really helped my mindset. I've come to like a new confidence with myself and the sport. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I like that. Now, a lot of times you said you coached a club here in Minnesota. I'm from Minnesota. So that's exciting. Um, 
What do you think USA Diving can do to improve just as a country or just the United States in general? You said we're lagging a little bit in the high dive world. What can we do as a country to improve uh, just in general? Uh, well, it's actually really funny that you asked that uh, because club, club, club team diving in England and the US is actually very, very different. Um, working working over here for a while I realized that you start to see most divers pick it up around high school um, especially a lot of like gymnasts uh, transitioning into diving around the high school age because you know the schools offer the one meter and the, the fun competitions and stuff um, in, in England it's to- and, and like like I was going to say you don't have a lot of uh, kids in the, the group D and the group C at nationals like the 11 and unders and 12, 13s, they're like not packed up categories. Uh, in England, it's the opposite. I'd say the, the 11 and unders and the 12, 13 is the busiest. Huh. Uh, so I think a big part of what USA Diving could improve on is, is the age that they get kids started diving. You know, if you could get, I think under eight is amazing, but under 10 is also great. Um, if you're starting that early on, you know, by the time you get to 12, 13, you know, you're probably a pretty solid diver by that point. And I just think if USA Diving could get like more younger kids into it instead of like, you know, I, I see gymnastics. It doesn't really fail to get kids in at a really, really young age, like two, three year olds. You know, if the, if diving could do that, I think that would be a place to start, because I think that's why the UK is so successful um, is because you have these little kids that come in and they do it from such a young age. It's second nature by the time they're in their teens. Yeah, true. So uh, what is your, now it's like, interest, this is going to be a really interesting question for you. What is your favorite drill to do for yourself as an athlete? And then also put the coaching hat on. What is your favorite drill to have your athletes do? Okay. Hmm. Uh, when you say drill, do you mean like like a drill in the water, like, like a skill or like a it could be water, dry land. So, for instance, Drew Johansson, his, he, like, immediately was, like, 10, 10 jump straight tuck and pike on the trampoline. We've had coaches talk about uh, teardrops off the side of the pool. So, really, wherever your head goes with it. Um, I would say what I find really helpful is doing double bouncing straight dives, like – um i grew up doing like the, the way that we are taught in england you know if you weren't practicing your competition lists almost everything you did was double bouncing even backwards and inwards um and i think that there has something that's got to be said is that like the the, the somersaulting and the, the natural like heel drive and stuff that comes from doing things in the straight position is really really important and, and often overlooked because uh, everything is competed in tuck and pike, but the actual uh, sensation of doing the straight dives, I think, is is very important and something that I like still practice and enjoy doing a lot. Nice, nice. Um, so, what is the best advice you have either given or received? Best advice that I've given or received. Um, that's a tough one. Um. I would say the best sort of like from so basically when I, obviously when I was growing up, um, 
like I said, I was never the, the best, the best diver. Um, but we actually, after Tom Daly had, had done his, you know, Olympic bronze medal in 2012, um, he, we, th- there's a new dry land coach that was brought over from Russia called Ruslan. And like, he could see that I was not like up to speed on like my flexibility, you know, like my strength, but he always, um, said to me at the end, he's like, you weren't the best today, but you, you worked the hardest. And he said, if you work the hardest all the time like this, one day you'll get to be the best. And, um, yeah, that, that one stuck with me. And like, you know, I, I still always strive to be the best, but it's, it is, it's been quite funny to see, uh, the amount of people that would probably never have said that I would make it in the sport now get to see that I've done that. And it, and it really has come from, from that work ethic and just my love for the sport and like not wanting to give up. I'm 100% stealing that and telling my athletes about it in the morning. I love that. Um, yeah. so the next question is always a fun one for us. And, uh, we, I have to like give you a caveat. You can't say Ellie cause we already want to have Ellie on the podcast. Who would you like to hear us interview in the future? Um, it's a good one. Who would I like to hear you interview? Um, damn, that's a good question. You got me thinking here. You can, you can say as many as you want. Yeah. Um, well, I would say, uh, in terms of like a diving coach, I think there's A.D. Hinchcliffe, who is Jack Law's coach in Leeds. He's now in Australia. I mean, I don't know if you could ever get hold of him, but I think in terms of his his career and from a coach's standpoint, a coach's inspiration, you can't really look past past that guy in terms of what's been done. I think he's a really cool guy and we'd like to see him on here. Um, I also think that there's a... The, the two Canadian divers, uh, Alex Despati and Emily Haymans, like back in the day, I, I used to think they were so sick. Me too. Uh, <laughs> That's who I watched when I was in high school all the time. I think those two are so sick. So like them two could be cool. Good deal. All right. I like it. Well, anybody out there listening, hit us up on Instagram. We are at the diving pod and our Gmail account is the diving pod at gmail.com. We still have t-shirts uh cowingrobards.com just enter the code dive pod at checkout i'll pay for your shipping wherever you need to get it there um thanks again owen this was incredible you're broadening my mind on feet first entries and 27 meters and yeah i i don't have the balls like you said uh mr hunt does so it's pretty cool to to listen to a, a different perspective of the same sport so i appreciate that yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I think uh, what you guys are doing here is is awesome. You know, it's such a small sport anyway, and the fact that you guys are uh, doing this and, and talking to athletes, coaches, people involved, and, and putting it out there is, is something awesome. So keep going, guys. I'll keep listening. Awesome. All right. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.